Have you ever walked into a store and felt like, okay, if I had a store, this is exactly what it would look like? That is what happened to me when I walked into Catbird, this beautiful little shop in Williamsburg, New York. They are known around the world for these beautiful, delicate gold stacking rings that they make. Their collection of jewelry is really simple and delicate, and it's the kind of jewelry that you put on and you never take off. You can go swimming in it, you can wear it to a wedding, and all of the jewelry that they make, these delicate pieces made with recycled gold or fair mined from scale mining communities are really special. They also have this foundation called the Catbird Foundation, which is tied to the ethos of their brand, which is a commitment to making and doing good things. So they donate a percentage of their sales to nonprofit organizations that align with their belief in equality and helping others. They're really committed to serving communities in need all over the world. So whether you go to their store or their gorgeous website, catbirdnyc.com, you're entering a world of beautiful things made by really good people. Whether you're getting a simple birthday present or you're proposing, catbirdnyc.com, informal luxury. Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind-the-scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, she is as passionate about her political activism as she is about her work and her family. Her willingness to stand up for her beliefs is one of the many reasons I have so much respect for her. Welcome, Celia Keenan-Bolger. A-OK. A-OK. Hi, everyone. My guest today is Celia Keenan-Bolger. She is a three-time Tony Award nominee and winner of many prestigious theater awards. She has a long and impressive theater resume, but some of her highlights include The Cherry Orchard, The Glass Menagerie, Peter and the Starcatcher, Les Miserables, the 25th annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, Merrily We Roll Along as part of the Encore series at City Center, Saved and the Oldest Boy. She has had roles in the films Breakable You, The Visit, and Diane. Some of her TV credits include Good Behavior, The Good Wife, Louie, Nurse Jackie, and Elementary. 
She is part of a theatrical family that includes her brother, Andrew, and her sister, Maggie. She is married to another Tony-nominated actor, John Ellison Conley. They have a beautiful child together. I am so pleased to welcome to the show Celia Keenan-Bolger. I'm so glad to be here. Well, this is very exciting for me because although I've had the pleasure of knowing you in real life, I've also had the pleasure of seeing you on stage so many times in one miraculous part after another. And I'm really excited to get to share with my listeners today a little bit more about how the girl from Detroit (laughs) ended up to be a person who is kind of effortlessly swinging back and forth between musical theater and plays, which is not always the way. Sometimes people get a little pigeonholed. Yeah, I think it was honestly as much out of necessity as it was sort of luck or a decision that I made. I was, you know, I came to the city and I was really most interested in doing musicals. And I studied musical theater at Michigan. And that was sort of what I thought I was going to do. And after doing a bunch of musicals, I found that singing eight times a week was very stressful. My voice was tired. I think I probably did too much for a little while. I did Spelling Bee for like two years and then went right into Les Mis without a break. And that's just a lot of eight shows a week. Yeah. And and I was tired. My voice was tired and I would wake up every morning and be like, what do I have? Are all of the notes there? Is it going to be easy? And then I found myself during the shows worrying more about how I sounded than telling a good story. Mm. And so I kept doing, a, I did a few more musicals after that. And then I thought, you know, I really, really would like to be in a play. <laughs> and luckily, Trip Coleman, who had seen Saved at Playwrights Horizons after he came to the opening night and he was like, have you ever been in a play before? I was like, Trip, I'm desperate to be in a play, but nobody will cast me in one. And he gave me the first opportunity. And what was that? It was a play by Leslie Headland called Bachelorette. And that was in so many ways, it was sort of a reawakening for me just because I got to play a character that I never had even gotten close to in musicals. She was a sort of very complicated, terrible person who was like a drug addict and a mean girl and and it was just it was so much fun and I felt like I was really using a part of myself that I'd never gotten to explore before particularly on a New York stage maybe in college and then after that it was like one person sort of took a little chance and I the door opened for a lot more opportunities so when you were growing up was your household a singing household my dad played the organ at our church Did you start singing in church? My mother was like a pretty staunch atheist. And so church was always this sort of like thing. Like my mom would exercise on Sunday mornings while my dad would go go to church. And we would always, I would go to church and like run around the choir loft. But I wouldn't like, I didn't sing in the choir. I didn't, I didn't feel a real connection to church except that it was a place where I would go with my dad. I remember being like 11 or 12 and saying to my mom, like, I don't want to go to church anymore and thinking that she would be like, great, no Great, problem. we're going to step class. <laughs> exactly. It's time for aerobics. Um, but she was like, you have to talk to your dad about that. And I was like, oh, oh so respectful. That's right. Oof. So, you know, we had that conversation. But my mother's parents were really, my mother's grandmother played the piano and had a Rodgers and Hammerstein songbook. And she would, I would just sit on her lap and we would sing those songs. And I had 
the cassette tapes of The Sound of Music and The King and I and Free to Be You and Me. I think Free to Be You and Me was like on the other side of The King and I. Yes. And, you know, like you do. And and so those... If I had to go to a deserted island, <laughs> I feel like I could only bring one cassette tape. I think that would be it. <laughs> it's right? not bad, right? Because gotta... I know the words, by the way, to every song on both of those cast albums. Same. So that was really where I think my appreciation for music sort of began. And I saw a production, a community theater production of The Sound of Music, I think when I was like five. And and I said, you know, that I want to do that. I want to yeah. be, I want to do that. And so, you know, my parents, along with gymnastics and soccer, were like, this will just be another thing that you do that I continued for a really long time. And your brother and sister are mm-hmm. a couple of years younger than you. Mm-hmm. I feel like you're the lunts. I mean, <laughs> I may be dating myself, but there is like something, certainly from the outside, and I know nothing is perfect in reality, but as an outsider looking in, the idea that all three of you are in New York City and create so much content, your siblings in particular, yes. are part of this generation that I... I'm not a part of. And that I am not a yeah, part of. Yeah, right. So just there's been already this skip just in a couple of years of like going to audition and waiting till someone gives you a job yep. to this crew of like, I don't know, let's make a web series. Yep. So it's, I'm so, this sounds so cheesy, but I am so inspired by the young people and particularly by my siblings who I feel like my brother began this web series. He was in college sort of right when YouTube was starting. So I think he just intuitively was able to figure out a lot of things that right. you and I would probably need some tutorials with. You might be more tech savvy than I am. No, but. my 13-year-old <laughs> is my social media right. campaign manager. Thank goodness yes. for that. And she has to go to school, right. which is in annoying. Addition. Sure. But it yeah. is not, not beneath time. me to call the school and be like, <laughs> I have to. There's a family emergency. Georgia, what is it on Twitter? Is it a hashtag? Anyway, sorry. Go back to no. science, honey. Um. <laughs> Can you imagine? So good. Very important. That's right. No, there's not been a death. <laughs> no, just I need help. I can't get online. I need help on Twitter. <laughs> so he just really has been so. I mean, he when he I think when he started making submissions only, he had never you know really picked up a camera before. He took a couple classes at the Mac store and just did it. And then, you know, when Penguin approached him to write a book, also something he had never done before, he was like, "Yeah, sure." And I just think if somebody approached me and was like, "Would you?" Could you write a book for us? I would be like, no. what are you, crazy? No. I have There's nothing in my life. You knocked on 2B. You're looking for 2C. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I think there's something to be said about a person who's just like, yeah, let me try. If you want to give me the opportunity, then I'm going to take it. Well, in all fairness to you, my friend, there was a part of you that said, okay, I'm from the Midwest. I'm going to go to New York City and become an actress. Mm-hmm professionally. So something gave you that courage. It's very different. I grew up in New Jersey. I literally had to go over the George Washington (laughs) Bridge to get here, which was a little bit hard. Something. But it's not quite the same as like packing your bags and getting ready. So how did you find the inspiration to do that? I think I had really wonderful parents who saw that I was very passionate about musical theater and let me go to college and study it and did a really amazing job. I mean, I think about this all the time, having my own child. Like, they had no skin in the game as far as whether I succeeded or not. My mom was a teacher. My dad is an urban planner. 
And they both really liked their jobs, which I think was something that was very helpful growing up, just watching them be very devoted to their work and getting a lot of satisfaction from their work. And I think they saw how much I cared about it. And so growing up, they were they drove me to a lot of rehearsals that were very far away all over Michigan. So you're doing it as a kid. Yeah. And, and this going was driven camp. by you. Yes. And they just sort of took my lead. And, you know, there was a point I was I did gymnastics and I was playing soccer. And there was a point where it was like, you can't we cannot be schlepping you around to all of these different practices. And you have to choose and it was a no-brainer. It was like, of course, I'm going to still, I'm just going to, I just want to focus on theater. And I think my mom was like, please double major in college because this is a very difficult career and the number of people that actually make it. And I was like, well, let's see how it goes. Never majored in anything else. Right. Just did musical theater. And they never, I mean, it was, that was okay. That was like, I never got a lot of heat for that. And then luckily I went to a college that showcased in New York. And so I came to New York, did a showcase, got an agent and my parents were just really supportive. And I think something I'm realizing just as I'm getting older is that even some parents can be supportive but not believe that acting is actually a career. Yeah. That it's just like something, how lucky for you that you get to do this fun thing. And I think my parents always made me feel like what I did, that it was important. I think that helped a lot in moving to New York from Detroit, Michigan. Did you go to college with Sutton Foster? I did children's theater. Children's theater with, with Sutton Foster. All right. And we were a part of a children's luncheon theater mm. where um, that was called the Peanut Butter Players, where we served hot dogs and salads. Delicious. What delicious. a delicious combination. Yes. There, you could choose to have a hot dog or a salad. Not both. Nope. No. I feel like a hot dog or a salad doesn't feel very filling for a luncheon theater experience. I would agree. You did get a cookie also and a bag of chips. You filled them with art. <laughs> That's right. Don't get too full. But this woman, her name was Joanne Lehman, and she was like, if you're going to go be a professional actor, if that's what you're aspiring to do, you should learn how to wait tables. Smart. So I was like 10 years old, mm -hmm. carrying around a big tray of hot dogs and, at, you know, taking everybody's... And, you know, there were a lot of kids. All the kids would eat hot dogs. All the adults would eat salads. And we did... You know, it was there were a lot of really amazing people in this children's theater and Sutton Foster being by far the most amazing. But so she she's just a few years older than I am. And she I remember got cast in Will Rogers Follies when she was like a senior in high school and went off and on did Broadway that or a national tour. tour. Uh -huh. But I actually think that is significant because that's another thing. Like my husband always says, he's like, I didn't even realize that being an actor was a profession. Like right. none of my parents' friends were doing that. None of my friends were doing that. So to see, to have grown up with somebody and then to see like, oh, she actually is is going to make a living. Is incredible. Doing this was like a real moment. Yeah, of course. Is there anyone else from, uh, I'm sorry, did you say it was the peanut butter players? Correct. Does that still exist? No. Well, I guess maybe it does, but Joanne Lehman moved to Colorado so it exists maybe somewhere in Colorado. I feel like we should do this in New York. I, I mean, think it's a great idea. It, is, it was some of the greatest time what, of my childhood. What, what were the performances well, thank of? thank you for asking because sure. the very first musical I ever did was a little musical called You're a Good Man, Charlie Brown. Oh, interesting. So all roads led to this moment between yes, us. that is right. Wow. That's right. That's I'll also tell you I played the role 
of Woodstock. Do you remember the role of Woodstock? Not nope. in the Broadway production. No, because that role does not exist. <laughs> well, I want to add, there probably wasn't Sally either when you well, did it. That... And they did add it for the yes, Broadway. And it right. worked out. Yes, everything worked out. Yes. Thanks, Kristen. So Woodstock could have become your... The next big Was there a... Tony if they had written my new philosophy for right. Woodstock. Yes. Damn it. Well, we missed that boat. Yes. But, but that was your first musical. Yes. Did Woodstock, however... Was that, were you a mime in the show? Did which That sounds about right. Yes. I didn't speak. I did a little dance. Um, and that was it. It was my first year in Peanut Butter Players, so I was making you my way up. You cut your teeth the, on Woodstock. Right. Mm-hmm. Making my way up the ladder. You did. Um, By the way, you did. Well, it all worked out okay, I yeah. guess. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Who was your first agent? Her name was Nancy Carson. She was primarily a children's agent. And I'm she sure just you looked said, very young still because she, she looked said, 12 still. Well, thanks. You're welcome. Um, she, but she said, she was like, look, you are a very specific type who looks a lot younger than you are. And I think a lot of the jobs that you're going to be interested in are going to be coming across my desk. And she was right. I mean, I was able, It was. I was so lucky. I was just talking to this big group of students who just graduated from Boston Conservatory and they were talking about types and I was like I just was so lucky to come out of school and be and I didn't have to do anything it was just like oh you're that person right. and I think it's so much harder when you're good at a million things and just look sort of like a normal person it's you know there's not a lot of imagination sometimes in this business and so you have to carve out this whole place for yourself and I was lucky enough I mean I I played kids continue to play people much younger than myself for years. And well, in Peter and the Starcatcher, I believe you were a 13-year-old, right? Yes. And that was, I'll say, like after I hit a point in my career where I was like, and it was before Peter and the Starcatcher, where I was like, no more kids. I want to transition into, I'm like a 30-year-old lady. I don't want to play kids anymore. And I'm going to tell you what, I stopped working. Great. <laughs> so I was like, okay, looks like I have to go back to playing right. young people. Let's talk about that because I feel like there's the illusion of I graduated from college, I got an agent, and now I'm in Alana's podcast booth just talking <laughs> about every single job and I never had a moment without. Well, I'll tell you what, even coming here, I was like, Ugh, I feel a little self-conscious because I'm not in a show right now and I'm about to sit down on this wonderful podcast and what am I going to talk about? In all honesty, like you've done a tremendous amount of work and have garnered a tremendous following of people who really love what you do. And what I'm hearing is people listen to this show both because they love getting to hear from people they only know from their performance, but also for people starting out, like, how do you handle it? And what were the rough spots early on? And how did you continue to do this and stay with it when people weren't saying yes? It is life's work, isn't it? I feel like... It changes. I believe it would way. be life's unemployment. <laughs> That's <laughs> right. What you As mean. it were. As it were. Yes. Hashtag. It's work yeah. to figure out life's unemployment. Correct. And I think after Saved, again, I was like, I think I don't want to do another musical. And so it was pretty quiet for a while. And I'll say, because I had been working nonstop for a lot of years in a row, I was pretty happy for it. For like... A month and a half. All right, look at me. I'm deciding to take a <gasps> I'm vacation. A sensible break. And then, of course, and then I decided, I was like, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to try to move to Los Angeles because I think that will be a good way 
for me to maybe try out some other things. And I hadn't done very much television and film. I thought it would be a sort of good change of pace in terms of just my the quality of my life and blah, blah, blah. So a friend of mine and I drove across country. We got to L.A. I had also just like two months before that met my husband. And I was like, oh, my gosh, I'm so happy to meet you. And I think I'm falling in love with you. And also I'm moving to Los Angeles. Is that a problem? And he was like, go do your thing. Go mm. live your life. How did you meet him? I saw him in a play that one of my best friends from college was in when we first graduated. This was like probably in 2002. And it was called The Butter and Egg Man. It was at the Atlantic Theater. I saw that play. I love that play. And I was like, who's that man? Does that man have a girlfriend? Yeah. And my friend that was in it was like, yes, he does. And I was like, okay. Mm. But whenever I saw him or heard his name, I was always like, oh, there's my boyfriend from The Butter and Egg Man. I love that guy. And then when I was doing the 25th Annual Putnam County Spelling Bee, I did a talk back for a big group of people. This was like five years after The Butter and Egg Man for a big group of people who had come from all over the country that were seeing like a weekend of plays. And this woman came up to me afterwards and she was like, you know, I just loved your performance and I loved listening to you speak. And I, I love actors. My son is an actor, John Ellison Conley. No, she didn't. And I was like, oh, yes, my boyfriend from The Butter and Egg Man. I did not say that. But I was like, I don't know your son, but I'm a huge fan. That's insane. Yes. And then my friend Sarah Salzberg was doing um, a show, Don't Quit Your Night Job, which was this improv show that was a fundraiser for TDF and he was John was doing it and she was like do you know John Ellison Conley and I was like I do know him I love him and she was like wait what <laughs> because he is a great guy and I'm gonna set you up on a date with him and I was like please do that and so we did that and I was really excited and he was sort of excited not really that excited to be set up but then it sort of worked out and I was like it's so nice to meet you I'm moving to Los Angeles so you did so I did and the stag. Did you keep being boyfriend, girlfriend? Well, we were just sort of like, yeah, we're going to really try to, I sublet my apartment. I was like, you know, I'll certainly try. I don't know when I'm going to come back, but let's like try to do this. Let's try to get married and have a son, by the way. Cut too. Yeah. Also, the greatest thing ever happened, which was that I had an amazing cross-country trip with my friend Joe. I arrived in Los Angeles, and a week later, the writer's strike happened. Perfect. And I was like, Couldn't Bye. have timed it better. Bye, L.A. Yeah. Can't be here now. Call me when you have scripts that you can shoot. <laughs> yep. So I got back, back in the car and <laughs> took the quicker way home. Right. And, of course, I had sublet my apartment. And so John was like, well, just stay with me. While you figure out either if you want to, like, get rid of your subletter or whatever, I'd never left. Are you serious? So I, like, moved in after two months, which was extremely fast, but yeah. also really great. And that was that. How long ago was that? That was almost nine years ago. You are married, correct? We are, Officially yeah. married. We got married in 2010. And it's, like, the best thing that's ever happened to me. That's really nice. <laughs> that's so really sweet. Nice. Kind of amazing that you just knew. Yeah, I feel like I was so obsessed with that question when I wasn't with the person that had I was going to be long-term with. Had you had long-term relationships before? I had, and had had my heart broken right before I met John. And Do you want to in... say who that was? Nope. <laughs> <laughs> what did you? Okay, tell me after. Okay. Yeah. Uh-huh. But you know what was really good about that relationship is that it sent me right into therapy to get some real work done. On myself, where I think I really reaped the benefits of that once I met John, because 
all those patterns that I had sort of fallen into in relationships, I was like about to try to break out of those. Is it hard being married to an actor? No. You guys like it? I really do. Do you like it? I do. I mean, it has its... I feel I, all kinds of things yes, about same. it. I love my husband, and I love him, and I feel like it is, you know, we're just circus folk. Like, it's kind <laughs> of a strange, there's something yeah. strange about it, and I don't know that other people would understand the lifestyle as yes. well. I do feel sometimes, though, a little more stability mm-hmm. would would help us. Yep. Like for one of us to be a grown up, we are two children mm-hmm. with children. Babies, babies raising babies. <laughs> yes. So, and that's just part of it. But we're doing okay. Yeah, we're I feel okay. like honestly, I did not feel it as much until I had a kid where I'm like, oh gosh, right? This business of not knowing what is next is hard. And, and particularly, I think having a baby, some women said to me, they were like, oh, it's the best because you just, you don't care anymore. You have so much perspective. I'm going to tell you what. I had that baby, and I still really cared about getting a job. Yeah. And I... Sometimes you're like, that baby ruined my being able to get <laughs> well, a baby. I was just going to yeah. say, like, yeah. in fact, sometimes I was like, baby, you're taking me away from the thing I love the most. I hope you always just call him baby. <laughs> don't right. even name him. Don't get attached. Baby. You name him, then you'll have to love him. That's yeah. right. Um, this is my baby, baby. Were you worried about that before Well, I think I thought when I had baby, when I had a baby, that there would be a part of me that was so filled that work would take on something different. And I feel like one of the main reasons I wanted to have kids is to make my world a little bit bigger. And I would say the one way in which having a child has made my world smaller is that it made it absolutely clear how much I love being an actor. Mm -hmm. And I was like, well, that's not what I was going yeah, for exactly. Yeah. And I do think now the sort of unemployment times, just sort of circling way back to that, when you have a child, it does fill your time in a very different way that I'm grateful for. And that also some days can be so deeply boring that you feel like I have got to get a job <laughs> because this hanging out for 12 hours with a kid who wants to just like kick and throw a ball and play with bristle blocks, I my I just don't have that much um, patience for that for hours and hours. Well, I feel like for me, what was really important is having friends during my pregnancy and post-pregnancy that I could talk to really honestly about the high highs and the low lows. Mm-hmm. I mean, I really appreciated people who I could cry with as much as be really joyous with. And I wonder what your experience has been. I mean, I definitely, I have found that if you lead with other mothers, if you lead with when they say, how are you doing? And I say, I'm having a really hard time. Immediately they will say, oh my God, Mm -hmm. it's so hard. It's so hard. And if I lead with, it's the greatest thing that's ever happened to me. They'll say, oh, isn't it the greatest thing that's ever happened to you? And so I just stopped saying, I, d- I mean, I didn't say that. I've, I always lead, usually, with it's pretty hard mm-hmm. and try to express how hard it was for me to new mothers. Because I think if we lead with that, there's a given that it is an incredible experience. And and there are things, blah, 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 that you could have never imagined all of the things that everybody told me, that's true. But a lot of people did not tell me 
how hard it was going to be. And I think also there was a part of me that was just like, I'm going to be great at this. I'm, I was meant to do this. I was born for this. And then I got into it and I was like, I don't know if I was born to do this. Can I call my agent? Because <laughs> yeah, exactly. I feel like. Can I get a job? Yeah. So what's been the hardest? What surprised you? That wasn't in the book what to expect when you're well, expecting. Well, I think or... I didn't love it as much as I thought I was going to love it. I, particularly in that first year, I missed acting so much, and that made me feel like a terrible person. So what shifted? I think understanding just that, okay, this is your new this is a new identity and a new life that you have to get used to, and that time just really helps with that. And also... I think I am just such, I'm so interested in communication and I just love a chat and having a child <laughs> that doesn't communicate and Yet. where there was no feedback, like, right. there, you know, there was no back and forth. I just found really hard. And I was like, all of the ways in which I have been trying to make myself a good person, none of them are being called into play here. I, or That was how I felt. I'm not sure that's true. But now, because there's language and sense of humor and all of these little things that have shown up in the last, you know, 12 months, I love it so much more than I don't love it. Yeah. But I have a feeling, you know, I also, I remember somebody saying to me, you can't be a great mother at, at every stage. And I was like, that really makes sense that... You can't be good every, you know, kids are very complex. We, we humans are complex. And so being a pro at every age is just not, it's not a good expectation to have for oneself. Absolutely. Well, I saw you guys together at Broadway Con <laughs> and, you know, I've done probably seven episodes already devoted to my love of Broadway Con, <laughs> but part of the cinematic experience when I replay Broadway Con in my mind is seeing you in the green room with your little boy. That moment where you're like, oh, your child is like a part of this theater community. And that's the fantasy, right? Like yes. you get to go to work and he's backstage and running around and there are all these, um, all this extended chosen family. Yes. And because theater people are the best people, it makes me think how lucky he is going to be to be around so many expressive and authentic individuals who love their job. I yep. mean, what a gift for a young person to get to be around. So I want to go back. What was your first Broadway musical? Spelling Bee. That was the first one. And you yes. had been part of developing it with that crew yes. of folk. Yes. It was one of those experiences where Rebecca Feldman, who created the entire the entire thing, basically. It was her idea. It was her conception. Was playing the part that I played. She played Olive, and she directed it, and she conceived it. And when they got to the Berkshires, they did a workshop that I was not a part of, where she did all three, and felt and they felt like, you have to let one of these things go, because it's too much work for right. you to have to do all of this. And so when I came around, she just directed it and continued to sort of develop did it. Did you know that crew of people, or did you audition for it? I knew Jesse Tyler Ferguson, because we had done a Michael John Lacusa musical some years before. And he was like, this musical is so much fun. It's like such a great group of people and such a really, I think, a really good show. And I had worked with Bill Finn a little bit and was obsessed with Bill Finn just because of falsettos. But he was part of the NYU musical theater grad writing program. And I had done a musical of one of his students. And so he was around as a mentor and 
I knew about him. And Vadim, his musical director, was also music directed that musical. And then it was also directing Spelling Bee. So they brought me in. And I got to workshop it in the summer with all of those guys. And it was really, it was one of those things. I was too young to totally understand it then. But how old were you? I guess I was 26, 25. But I was like, people love this musical. They are like, from the minute it started, people were just went bananas for it. And I remember James Lapine came and visited while we were there. And then David Stone, who had always been a producer on it and who was who ultimately brought it to New York, but was also a producer in the Berkshires, was like, we're gonna we're gonna take it to second stage and produce it there. And um and so then we I think there was like a little hiatus, and you know, then James Lapine came on and he had not been with the show all of this time, whereas some of these people had been with it you know, two incarnations before I even got there and had sat with these characters for a long time. And I just remember the whole first week of rehearsal, James said, he was like, we're going to do, we're going to rehearse this and you're going to play these characters the way that you played them, the way that you were when you were this age, which was a huge change for a lot of us because we had put a lot of work into developing these characters. And so Suddenly, we were just like all the lisps, all of the speech impediments, all of the quirks were sort of taken away for the first week. And I think it was a very crafty thing to do. I think it was helping put him on the same page as us so that we sort of started all on the same. But you were developing it together. Yeah. Tell me why you think James Lapine is one of the greatest directors. James is sort of allergic to bits or something that reads as showy. And I think having a director, particularly for our Broadway debut, because it was so many of our Broadway debuts, to just say, Trust you, it. yes, you are enough. I remember he would pull us aside, like we would have these little chats with James, where he would pull us aside during a rehearsal. This was more when we were in the theater, and you would talk, we would talk for like 10 minutes. And he would, I remember he'd say like, Celia, I think you're doing a great job. I think you are doing too many weird things with your hands. And I know that you're trying to portray like a nervous kid, but you don't need to do all that. Don't do all of that. Would your feelings get hurt or were you okay? I, they were a little bit, but I also felt like by that point, I think sometimes directors can be critical because they themselves are feeling a little insecure. And I think... I did not feel that way when he was saying those things. He had my best interest. Because I've had the beloved Dan Fogler on the show, and he's like, we were on Broadway for one minute, and then the Tony nominations came out two minutes later, and I was nominated. And you had the same experience as well. Yeah. I didn't... I don't think I... I had watched the Tonys growing up, but I would say, like, my relationship to the Tony Awards now is so different than what it was then. Like, I didn't even wake up for the nominations. I'm not sure that I knew they were happening. Now you wake up even if you weren't in a play the year that it was. Let me just get up at five. What what am I, who my friends are going to get to, like, go to those awards? Exactly. And so it was, it was so special, but I also remember feeling... Because the piece was such an ensemble piece that the fact that 
everybody wasn't nominated. And as happy as I felt that I felt like going to work that night, I was going to feel a little bit bad. And the greatest thing that happened was that the Drama Desk Award nominations came out before then, and we all won the award for Best Ensemble, which I think also in a way kind of spoiled me because I was like, why can't that be the way with the Tonys? Like, why can't we all get to do this? But it was was a really special and meaningful year, particularly also, and this is a whole other conversation that actually was when you were asking about sort of... um, Darker times. mm -hmm, And humiliating audition experiences. Yes. um, That because I had also been involved with The Light in the Piazza for many years before um, Spelling Bee, and The Light in the Piazza was also nominated for many Tonys that year, that I was feeling lots of feelings at those Tony Awards. So you had workshopped or done productions, and you did the part Kelly O'Hara played? Yes, and Kelly O'Hara played the role of Franca, who was the Italian coloratura soprano. And then they announced that it was coming to Broadway, and and of course, it was like the most beautiful musical I had ever heard. And making it, I had also never created like been, something. Yes, some, no, certainly nothing like that. Right. And I got a call from my agent um, that says, you need to come and audition. And I was like, okay, um, I can do that. That's I'll do that. Did so anyone was, from the creative team call you and say, oh, this is just a formality? Or did was it quiet from when the powers that be? I think, yes. I think Ted Sperling, who is the music director, had said, we want you to take voice lessons in between Chicago and Broadway. Or, like, go to a different voice teacher. And so I did that. And it it felt like things were... Something's off. Yeah. And so, and Vicky and I talked a little bit. And she was like, I think, you know, you just have to go in there and you have to show them that nobody else can play this part and you should have blonder hair. And I was like, oh, okay, um, I'll do that. Of course, I like didn't really know anything about anything. So I like scheduled an appointment to have my hair um, highlighted more blonde on the day of my audition in the morning. So I was like sitting in a chair, getting my hair highlighted, blonder, putting on like a dress and just trying to be like, what are they looking for? Like, what are they, what is the version that they want this character to be? I show up, I like walk into Lincoln Center. There's a huge table of Andre Bishop and Bernie Gersten and all of these people who I've just spent the last three years with. And I sing the songs and, and I think I felt pretty good about it. I think I felt okay. Of course, I also saw like three other women at this audition that were like, what are you doing here? Didn't you, weren't you in this show? And I was like, oh, yeah. Um, no, I'm just like here to audition. Feeling like, oh, God, what's happening? And then I I got a call that was like, you're not, they're, you're not, they're not going to go any further and Kelly is going to play the part. And I remember feeling more than anything just so embarrassed that all of these people knew, like the business knew that I had been attached and that I was forever going to be the person that had been let go from the light in the piazza. And I thought, like, how can I, how am I going to have a career? And the irony of all of the spelling bee stuff is that essentially I came in and did the exact same thing to Rebecca Feldman, is that she had like put her lifeblood into spelling bee 
And then I waltzed in and took her part. And I was like, I know you think that I don't really know how bad this feels, but I really do. (laughs) And I'm sorry that this thing that you birthed and made, you don't get to actually perform. Looking back on all of it, it was such a good thing to happen as early as it did in my career because I think I was like, oh, this is what this is going to be like. You're going to invest all of this energy and love into something and then it's not going to happen. And if you are up for that, you can keep doing this. And if you're not, maybe find something else to do. So what did you do? So I got to go to the Berkshires and be in this Pretty soon after. It was like the universe just really, really. Took care of you. Yeah. So there wasn't that large a gap between the gut punch. Yes. And I always say this, but the whole experience of the Tonys and then being there with, I still hadn't seen. Like holding hands with Kelly O'Hara on the red carpet. That's so strange. Did you ever go see it? Could you bring yourself to see it? I did. And I'm so glad I did. And it was so, I mean, the thing is, is that I cannot sing like Kelly O'Hara. I cannot even come close to singing like Kelly O'Hara. And when I watched it, I was like, of course she should be playing this part. But it was, it was just, and she was so amazing throughout that process as far as communicating with me and being as generous as somebody in her position could be. But it was really, I remember at the Tony Awards feeling a sort of deep sadness in a way that I was like, this is not exactly how I expected right. my first right. <laughs> fancy theater awards to go. But I think, it again, that is a great lesson for all of the things that you're like if I can just get this and you're like usually when you get that thing it's a little bit different than what you expect it will be or what it will do for you so what do you think success is I think success is having the respect of your peers and enjoying what you do nope that's not what it is. It means money. <laughs> cash. Fame. Cash and, and never-ending really work. Big house. Well, speaking of success, can you imagine if you had told little Celia in the peanut butter player serving hot dogs and salad that she would one day be starring in Les Mis on Broadway? When I was living in Detroit, Michigan, I auditioned, I think that first national tour, they just cast the kids town to town. And I remember one of the first enormous heartbreaks of my life is that I made it all the way to the end to play Little Cosette and then didn't get the part. And I remember just lying on our couch and crying. And the idea that if that little person had known one day I was going to play Eponine on Broadway, like I would not have believed my life. Now, I know that you probably don't feel like you've warmed up. Would you sing the first two <laughs> lines of that song? They're not high, and they're so heartfelt. Yeah. Would you give Can us I that present? Can I also tell you a little story yeah. about when I first started? And I was like, what if I say, on my own and they were like nope that's not how the song (laughs) goes have you listened to the record but I was like I feel and they were like no no that's not how this song is written and I was like okay then I will sing on my own pretending he's beside me all alone I walk with him till morning and so on and so forth. Do you ever sing that to your little boy? It's funny. I don't. I find myself singing the most (laughs) 
random songs and generally not from the musical theater canon. And also being like, what songs do I know? Like, that is a genuine thing where you're like, do I know any songs that I could? And you're like, what are you crazy? I know literally thousands of songs. Do you have a good night thing? It mixes up. We don't have like a like one go-to. Mm. There's a song. Oh, so you're not doing that right. <laughs> exactly. I just want to say. Just so you know. Yeah. That's damaged no. for like years Oh, to that come. must be the thing you're not. Yeah. That's the <laughs> There oh, is a boy. Simon and Garfunkel song that my husband and I actually sing that, um, that's like, April, come she will. Oh, beautiful. Um, that we do. We did a lot when he was a little baby that he really was into. And now sometimes we'll still, like, sing. And sometimes you ask John, can we sing instead of, like, April, come she will. You're like, can we do April, come she will. (laughs) He's like, that's not how it's written. He's like, Simon and Garfunkel have mixed that. Um, Celia Keenan-Bolger, I cannot tell you how grateful I am to have you here. So I really, really... Love you. Oh, my gosh. I'm so grateful to be here having listened to many podcasts with many people that I respect. I just feel It's a good group. Super, yeah. We got a is. good group. All we right. Well, time. little known fact, I'm so thrilled you came today, and I hope I see you on stage again very soon. Thanks. Me too. Bob's can make the wind blow. Bob's can make the grass grow. So there you go. These are little known facts that now you know. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. 